Thanks again for joining us. So glad to be here together. Uh, love that summer's coming up. Love uh, I, things like Kickball Sunday coming up next week. Uh, just a season of sun and outdoors and fun. I know we have a number of teachers in the house, and uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you are incredibly overwhelmed, but pretty excited about what is to come as uh, as you get wrapped up. It's a busy but fun time of year. Hey, so we have been in a series that we're going to conclude today um, uh, called uh, Real Life Living to the Fullest. And we've been exploring uh, what does it look like to live in the Christian way, right? Uh, How does it impact our lives on a daily basis? What does it look like? What does it change uh, in my life to be a follower of Jesus? Early in our church journey, we studied through the Gospel of Luke, uh, the, the story of Jesus' life death, burial, and resurrection, and then we continued with Acts, and then uh, the, the next step was like, so, so what does it look like played out in our lives? And so we've been lean, leaning heavily upon the book of James. Now, the book of James was written by Jesus' brother, who was the pastor leading the first church, the first Christian church in Jerusalem. Uh, that is not the denomination, the first Christian church. That is like literally the first Christian church, right? So in Jerusalem, James was leading that church. And I won't go into any detail, but uh, James must have had quite a journey coming to faith in his brother as his savior. Uh, that, that doesn't come easily. It's not a real natural conclusion for, for many of us. And, uh, but James did. Uh, at the resurrection, James became convinced uh, in, in, in Jesus as, as the Messiah. And so James is a central figure in the early Christian church. And James, as a pastor overseeing not only that church, but uh, playing a significant role in the expansion of Christianity throughout the region and the world, um, he, he he was a teacher. And his, his words were taken very seriously by the first century church. And so James would write uh, letters like the one that we get to read, the book, we call it the book of James, um, in the Bible. And, and he leaned into very real-life topics. For instance, we began uh, a couple months ago talking about wisdom. As James describes to us the source of wisdom, a source from heaven, from God, uh, that is different than the wisdom of the world and invites followers of Jesus to lean into this wisdom that is from God. We've talked about suffering and we've talked about how do we process and deal with struggles and difficulty in life in light of Jesus. We've talked about wealth. What do we do with money as followers of Jesus? What does the Bible have to say about it? We've talked about taking action, that it, that it moves beyond just hearing the word. James says it's not good enough just to hear the word and do nothing about it, but we are those people that take action based on the things we're learning. We've, we've talked about our speech. How will we communicate as followers of Jesus? We've talked about prayer and this uh, two-way conversation that we're invited to have with a Heavenly Father that loves us. We've talked about healthy relationships. What does it look like to live in a healthy relationship uh, first with God uh, to help perceive ourselves in a, a holistic manner based on that that lens of how God views us and then relationships with others so we talked about relationships with God with self and with others and then uh, last week uh, some of you were here for kids Sunday as uh, we just celebrated our young people and we explored the idea of discipleship 
Um, because discipleship is a broader topic than raising children, but is very poignant on the subject of raising children, right? What does it look like uh, to love people well and invest in other people's lives? And today we're going to conclude um, as we talk about the way of Jesus, like uh, living like Jesus lived. And to do that, I want to wrap back to the very first week that we were in this series. Uh, In the book of James, chapter 3, James speaks to this idea of wisdom. And and pulled out of this this James 3 text, we're going to look at three aspects of Jesus' life. We're going to allow his life and his actions and his teachings to shape the way we consider what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus? What does it look like to live like Jesus lived today? practical, real-life application uh, of, of living the life that we're invited to know. James chapter 3, verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." Wouldn't leave that up there for a second. Well, we just uh, kind of take in all that he says. He says uh, there's two kinds of wisdom, and you can read the the broader context of this passage and consider these two kinds of wisdom. But he says the wisdom from heaven is marked with these sorts of traits. The wisdom from heaven, it's submissive and it's considerate and it's pure. There's a word that he repeats at least three times in there: uh, peace, right? Peace-loving, peacemakers, sowing in peace. This is the wisdom from heaven. It's marked by peace. Um, and there's three terms in here that I want to lean heavily into today as we consider what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus. It says this wisdom from heaven is submissive, it's full of mercy, and it's sowing in peace. So we're going to lean heavily into those three as we consider what does it look like to walk like Jesus walked, to live like Jesus lived 2,000 years later in a different culture and a different context? What's the practical piece of how it shapes the way I live? So let's talk about submission. Let's be honest. The term submission or or submitting uh, does not have a great reputation in our culture, right? Uh, Like how many of us in here are like, I just love to submit. You know, that's just, that's just my thing. That's, that's my jam. I, I just love doing that. Not many of us, uh, think in those terms. In fact, it has a pretty negative context. I, I was driving, um, I was driving, I don't know if I was coming back from Yakima or what, but I, there was this car that had a little cartoon character flipping me off in the window of the car in front of me. And uh, I was like, that is someone who doesn't submit well. I just know it. She is not good at this concept. And ironically, uh, it made me feel kind of that anger and frustration, and that's not someone you want to drive nice around, right? Because they're a jerk, so I can be a jerk, right? Uh, so it, it didn't breed submission in my life either. It kind of breeded a frustration. Um, but we live in a world that submission is not the natural posture, right? We live in a world in which it's very difficult to consider submitting to someone. James 4 verse 7, this is the last passage in James that we haven't really dug into yet. James 4 7 says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
I got to be honest, James' words do not soften the idea of submitting, right? Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't go light on this one. Uh, he's not like, oh, you know, just kind of give yourself over to God a little bit, right? He says, uh, submit yourselves to God fully. He says some encouraging things. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He says, if you'll come near to God, God will come near to you. I love the parable of the prodigal son, you know, and this idea of God waiting for just the uh, posture of the child to turn towards him and running and covering that distance. This is one of my favorite passages in that respect. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Uh, No matter how far God feels from us, if we will change our posture, if we will turn our posture to him. He will cover the distance that we sense between us and him, right? Um, So there's some encouraging things, but the overarching theme is this idea of submitting, submitting yourself to God. In 17 years in ministry, I've uh, been blessed to do quite a number of weddings, and um, one of the classic passages that is often read in weddings and that I've held on to has to do with submission, right? It says, wives, uh, submit to your husbands, and it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And it uh, and it says further, uh, submit to one another, right? And, and sometimes this passage has been used really poorly in patriarchal societies and, and, and in the West. Uh, we've used this passage really poorly. But it says submit to each other. And the reason I like to cling to this passage when we talk about marriage uh, is because I think there's something really beautiful about being able to submit. I think there's something remarkable in finding someone who you desire to say, your will over mine. And they say to you, I'll submit to you, your will over mine. Can you imagine a more beautiful or blessed relationship than one in which that kind of reciprocal love and respect exists, right? So so James says, in the same way, we submit to God, knowing that he has our best interests at heart. We choose this posture of submission before God, knowing that he is a loving creator, knowing that he cares, knowing that he has our interest in his heart, demonstrated most perfectly in Jesus. Um, uh, Jesus sent to earth, uh, you know, loved by the masses, but hated by the religious rulers whom he threatened, uh, at least threatened their power and their reign over people and their status in society, uh, who was um, just before, the night before his crucifixion, He had gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray with his closest followers. And, uh, and he falls to his knees in tears. And, uh, and he says, Father, uh, take this cup from me. I don't want to drink from this. I don't want to go through this. But your will, not mine. And here's the remarkable thing about this passage in the story of Jesus. As God's will played out in that circumstance, as Jesus submitted himself to that, he went through suffering, and there is a reality that even as followers of Jesus, we will experience difficult times and terrible and hurtful and hard things in our lives. However, there's this beautiful promise in uh, verse 10 of James 4 where it says, Humble yourselves before God, and he will lift you up that God will lift us up. 
Have you ever noticed when we spend so much of our life fighting to elevate ourselves, uh, how difficult and ugly life often gets? I mean, our families are left behind, uh, relationships are severed, uh, opposition seems to come. And the invitation in James and the example in the life of Jesus is that when we choose to submit ourselves to God, he will elevate us far beyond where we can get by scratching and clawing our way to the top of whatever ladder we're trying to climb. The promise is that in this posture of submission, in this posture of humility, God will be the one who elevates us. And isn't that true in the story of Jesus? Having walked through his suffering, risen from the dead, and placed at the right hand of God, right? Uh, Jesus, central to who we are as a people because God lifted him up in his humility and his submission. Okay, so I said we'd talk about three things this morning. Walking in the way of Jesus, it starts with submitting to God and his will. Right, and, and the way that plays out practically in our lives, uh, each of us needs to consider. But often I know when I'm acting out of my own will, when I'm acting out of my own desires, right? When I'm pursuing the things that I care most about, that I want most, often they're selfish things that are a very little benefit to the people around me or to my family or to the world, right? They're, they're the things that I want. And there's an invitation here to consider what does it look like to submit to God's will, uh, to seek in our lives what is God's will. And by the way, that's, as a church, what we're trying to do in these community vision and prayer meetings, right? We're trying to seek what is God's will? Where is God at work in this community? What is the Spirit inviting us into? Because we could push our agenda all day long for many, many years, and maybe maybe spin our wheels, but not have much impact on the kingdom of God and, and, and not have much impact on bringing the kingdom down to the Tri-Cities, Washington. So the question becomes, what is God's will? And am I willing to submit to that? That's, that's number one. James says, wisdom from heaven is submissive. And so we're invited to consider submitting to God who will lift us up. Secondly, I want to talk about mercy and compassion. This wisdom that comes from heaven is, uh, is full of mercy and of compassion. I think it's my favorite story in scripture. Um, uh, as Jesus uh, is invited to a Pharisee's house, it's found in Luke chapter 7. I'll just read a small section of it in a moment. But Luke chapter 7, read it some more later. Jesus is, is invited into a Pharisee's house, one of the elites in um, Israelite culture in the first century. And there was customary ways to greet someone in your home. Often a servant or a worker in the house would wash their feet because keep in mind, Jesus had been walking for many miles on dusty roads in Birkenstock sandals. That's what he wore. That's how he, he walked. And, um, and so, uh, it was customary to, to wash a person's feet as they entered the home. Uh, Jesus arrives at the Pharisee's home and they give him no water for his feet. No one washes them for him, nor is he given anything. It's an intentional sign of disrespect. He's not given any oil uh, as a ceremonial sort of cleansing or for the perfume, the smell of it. He's not given any of the customary um, kind greetings or, or common hospitality accused uh, in the first century. And, and so Jesus enters this house, but nonetheless, 
Luke 7, 36, uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Nevertheless, Jesus comes in the home and he reclines at the table with these other men, with these Pharisees. But in verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So it's just commonly believed the woman that came that day was a prostitute, uh, was, was certainly looked down upon culturally and uh, certainly not welcome in a Pharisee's home. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed him, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, I don't know what the most, like, cringe-worthy moment of your life was, like the most awkward and disgusting scene you've ever seen uh, was, this is it, okay? Like, in, in the first century, there is nothing more vile and and just cringeworthy than this. Can you imagine being a follower of Jesus and seeing a prostitute bawling her eyes out, wetting his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair? There's nothing, nothing beautiful about the picture that's painted here. And in the context, Jesus has been disrespected and shown no hospitality or courtesy as he entered this home. And, and you can imagine how the Pharisees wanted him to respond. They're like, dude, if he was really the Messiah, he would know what kind of woman was touching his feet and doing whatever to his feet right now. And he would put this to a stop. And remarkably, remember this idea of wisdom that is merciful and compassionate? Remarkably, Jesus, in the sight of the Pharisees, in the sight of the elites, makes space at the table for her, right? Jesus shows her kindness and hospitality and says, your, your sins are forgiven, right? He invites her to know new life and new hope in the most cringeworthy and, and awkward and, and maybe disgusting moment any of them have experienced. Jesus demonstrates mercy and compassion. Friends, that's the Jesus I want to be more like, can you imagine if there was more people in our world that dealt with those uncomfortable, awkward, challenging situation with that kind of poise, with that kind of grace, showing that kind of mercy, even to those that maybe don't even deserve it, but he shows mercy and grace. James says that walking in the way of Jesus not only involves submission to God, but it involves the way we treat people, the way we engage the world around us. It's a way of mercy and of compassion. I saw this video that I'll show in just one second. Um, I think it illustrates the ideas in an interesting way. It's got another cultural element to it. And so I thought it was interesting. I wanted to, to show it to you this morning. I think it illustrates nicely um, the idea of the ways that we live our lives that have profound impacts on other people. And in this case, uh, in, in a perfectly framed uh, video, you get to see the impact of each of those decisions that he's making in life, right? In our lives, it often doesn't work that same way. Often we don't see the impacts and the results of the things that we do. 
But Jesus and, and James' letter invites us to know a life of compassion and of mercy. Um, just a funny side note, I, I almost forgot to say this. I have to say this. Uh, any idea, so this is actually a commercial um, for, it's an, it's an advertisement. Uh, any idea what that would be an advertisement for? We won't, we won't get it right if you guess. Uh, that is a life insurance advertisement. How in the world that, I don't know. They made you cry, they made you feel good, and then they show their logo, and I guess that works, right? That's basically how advertise. I'm not an expert in advertising, but I guess that's the way it works. But it's a cool concept, right? Um, I love the way of Jesus. It is a life of mercy and compassion. It's a life of, of seeing people, right? Uh, of caring for people. It's a life that will not always be um, uh, appreciated culturally. Uh, you saw everyone in the video, including the people that he's helping at times, kind of mocking him and nodding their head about the things that he's doing. It won't always be understood. It won't always be loved by people around us. But let me say, it is the way of Jesus to live lives of mercy and compassion in submission to our Heavenly Father. And finally, uh, James mentions this, the third that I'll, that I'll flesh out a little bit today. Uh, he mentions uh, sowing seeds in peace. Jesus spoke to this concept as well in Matthew 13. He speaks of a farmer out sowing seeds in a field. He says that the seeds are God's word. They are this wisdom, the Spirit's guidance uh, being sown into the world, right? It's this uh, merciful, um, sincere, impartial, peace-loving fruit that is being brought into this world, these seeds that produce uh, these remarkable things that God is working to restore in the world. And in Matthew 13, he speaks of scattering these seeds, and some of the seeds that he scatters falls on a path, and um, the birds eat them up, and they don't take root. Just like many times in our lives when we sow good seeds, uh, it lands in the lives of people and in situations uh, that just have no place for it. And, and in a sense, it went to waste, right? We, we didn't see there wasn't some marked change because of the things that we did. But you know what? In Jesus' parable, the sower keeps on sowing. Uh, that's, that's not the end of the world in the parable. And some of the seeds, it falls on rocky ground. and It was lacking in soil, so it sprung up for a moment and died out. Many times in our lives when we sow these peaceful, good, loving seeds, uh, when we share the word of God or, or demonstrate it or live it out in the lives of people, you know, it has a short and small effect. And some will fall among thorns, the cultural norms and the societal things that get in the way of of people really understanding and accepting what generosity and love really look like. And so it's choked out by the thorns. But in this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, some of the seed falls in good soil. And it says it produces a remarkable crop. Right, What grows up is not only plants that nourish the earth, uh, but more seeds are produced by these plants that are grown, and it has this exponential effect. This is the invitation of Jesus, that we sow generously. Right, that we share Jesus' love, that, that we share God's love uh, and, and his message of hope and salvation with the world around us, and it will not always be accepted in the way we would hope, but that is okay. We are those that keep on sowing. 
And this speaks to the mission of God. And I'll be very brief as we close out. But um, I believe God to be a God on mission. Um, that sin and the fall of humanity created a, a devastating separation, but that God, since the beginning of time, has been working to restore right relationship with his humanity, with humanity, with his beloved creation. And, uh, and so here's the beautiful thing about mission as we consider what does it look like to sow seeds and, uh, and, and, to, and to engage in mission. Quite often, mission is something that we as a church or we as a person or a people identify as this is our mission. But I think sometimes that's short-sighted and kind of misguided. I believe we serve a missional God. I believe we serve a God that is on mission to restore relationship with humanity, uh, to invite people into his goodness and his love. And so here's the beautiful thing about mission, should we agree to view it in those terms. Uh, The mission is not ours, but we are invited to come alongside God and participate in the beautiful work that he's doing in this world. And let me just say I like sowing seeds like that that God is at work bringing about growth, that God is at work uh, cultivating soil, and we are invited to come alongside God in his mission and participate in remarkable ways and see far more progress and growth than we could ever accomplish on our own. I remember after high school and after some really tumultuous bad years and bad decisions, um, God, God reclaimed my life in just a remarkable way. And the grace and the mercy that we talked about today uh, so powerfully just changed my perspective on God and what it looks like to live and follow. I, I, I knew uh, very shortly after this season that, that God was calling me into some sort of mission work. And so as I graduated high school, 17 years old, uh, my parents are crazy. You should meet them sometime because they put me on a plane to Botswana, Africa, 17 years old. No, they're not crazy. They're awesome. Um, one of the most remarkable experiences of my life, uh, Botswana, Africa for, for three months. And, um, and uh, we'll talk about the experiences more, but here's the ironic thing about going over there. I knew mission happened Missions happened in Africa, right? Growing up, I, I had enough of that understanding and knowing that I wanted to live on mission. Uh, I went to where I knew it's happening. And God had to take me halfway around the world to open my eyes to the fact that mission is happening and needs to be happening right here in our own community. Friends, it is the ways that we choose to submit to God, the ways we demonstrate mercy and compassion, and the way that we share God's good news, both with the words we say and the ways we live, that invite us to participate in God's mission in this community. So that is our invitation today. Big picture, we've been talking about real life. What does it look like um, to apply Christian principles in our lives? And I wanted to sum up with that living in the way of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, that we would submit ourselves to God even when it's not the easiest path, that we would demonstrate God's mercy and compassion in the lives of people around us, and that we would say, I will be one who participates in God's mission in the things that he's doing in this world. Let's pray as we close out. Father God, we uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. 
And Father, we pray, uh, I pray above everything else that, that your voice can be heard uh, through scripture this morning. Uh, Father, that, that we will be those that consider submission to you, knowing that you are loving and good. Father, I pray that um, you, will, you will teach us the way of mercy and compassion in our lives, that this week as we encounter cringeworthy situations, Father, that you will teach us, uh, give us uh, just a glimpse of a vision for what it's like to engage those things and those people uh, with mercy and compassion as Jesus did. And Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to what it looks like to participate in the good work that you are doing in this world. Father, that we can see uh, progress, that we can see lives change, that we can see safer and healthier communities. Father, that we can know people coming into relationship with you and finding the grace and the peace and the hope that only you offer. So, Father, we thank you that you have invited us into that journey. We pray your guidance as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.